Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I'm Sarah. I'm an alcoholic. Good morning, you guys. You can all hear me okay, right? Um, I thanked Dustin on my way up here for a very nice introduction. He, uh, we had some quite lively banter that day and then the days following, and I really think that's probably the reason that he asked us to come speak here today. Sort of, um, we may have been winning in the discussion or something, and so it was, <laughs> no, um, we do it. We enjoyed talking to him. Um, I have been an Alcoholics Anonymous for over eight years now. I'm very grateful for the program. It, as the speakers earlier this morning talked about it, it changed my life and saved my life. And, um, and that is why I come here when I'm asked and why my, I go with my home group, um, which is the Our Common Welfare Group. Interestingly, you don't have the traditions on the walls, but, um, it's the first tradition, Our Common Welfare comes first. That's the name of our group. And we go to, uh, detox and treatment center also to try to carry the message. So, um, the reason I do that is because the sponsor I happen to find when I got sober, did that, essentially. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have done it because, like Pat said, my best thinking really wasn't very good. Uh, it usually ended me up in jails and um, treatment centers and other places that I didn't really think were that fun. So um, out of pure misery, I was just willing to follow suggestions, and that was what she did. She'd been sober for 15 years, I think, at the time I met her, and she's still sober today, and she does... Um, the same thing. She's of service to uh, Area 35, which is northern Minnesota. How many of you guys are AA members or have been to an AA meeting? Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, nice. Um, so there's an imaginary line that divides our state, half, north half and south half, and we're from the north half. Um, <laughs> she's been active in that service structure up there, so um, because she's my sponsor, I sort of follow what she suggests, and that's what I did. Um, of course, after doing, uh, like our first speaker, See him, and I forgot his name. Pat, no. Oh, there's two Pats in a row? Oh, well, that's convenient. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about forgetting names. Um, like he was saying, I would not be able to be of service. Um, we, have, we have a home group member that made a very funny comment. I'm sick. How can I help you? Um, that's it's two-stepping. That's really, that's all you do. You, I'm sick. I acknowledge the fact that I'm sick, and now I'm going to try to be of service to you. And... Uh, I did that for the first year, and then I got drunk, and then the second year I uh, I did the steps on a daily basis and continued to do them so that I had, when I got to step 12, I had had a spiritual awakening, so I had something to offer somebody else. Um, ironically, when I didn't have anything to offer anyone, I tended to attract people who also didn't really have anything to offer <laughs> anyone else. So uh, it's a nice uh, it's a nice change now because... Uh, Oh, keep talking? Okay. Um, or you can't hear me? Okay. Um, because uh, I have a husband today, and uh, he makes me very, very happy. And uh, when, I was, when I was newly sober, I went to a, uh, there was a speaker. Her name was Polly P. And I, I, at a year of sobriety, had moved to Texas for some reason. And 
there was a speaker convention that my sponsor was putting on, and they brought in the speaker to talk about how to live the traditions in your relationships. And I had a year of sobriety, and I had no relationships with anyone um, because I hadn't done the ninth step yet, so there really hadn't been any resolutions of my family relationships. And uh, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> living the traditions in your relationship. And then I got married, and now I understand a little bit better about how you're supposed to live the, the traditions in your relationship. Um, relationships are tricky things. And again, as the other Pat said earlier, uh, you get a bunch of sick alcoholics together and we tend to butt heads a little bit sometimes. Um, certainly, certainly Bill, uh, Bill was aware of that. I think he's, he was right. It was about 15 years after he wrote the big book that, um, in 1941, the article titled, let's see if I can find it. Should have italicized it. It was written by, well, I can't find it now in my wonderful notes. Jack Alexander's article, anyways, uh, it was titled something about, it was about AA, and it was published in the Saturday Evening Post, I believe. After that article got published, uh, there was a huge boom in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, they quadrupled their membership in less than a year. Uh, and you have all sorts of sick people running in saying, please help me. And you have groups expanding and exploding all over the nation. You go from the first three groups that he talked about to hundreds and hundreds of groups and all very nice, healthy, fun alcoholics who get along well and play well with others. And, uh, and some problems came up. Um, what ended up happening was that Bill, being the prolific writer that he was and being pretty observant, um, was able to look around at what was going on in all the groups around him and in other organizations, uh, maybe you've heard like the Washingtonians or the Oxford group, uh, and see what they did wrong that caused their failure and ultimate collapse because those two groups in particular were very, very effective in dealing with alcoholics. Uh, sometimes we like to think in AA, I do, I like to think in AA that um, it's such a wonderful organization, it's such a wonderful program, it saved my life, it gave me such a wonderful life, it's the best or the only answer, and that's just not the case at all, um, obviously. There are many other approaches to, to dealing with alcoholism. There are many other effective approaches. Uh, we don't have a monopoly on the answer. We just have one answer, which is a very good thing for me to remember as a, an alcoholic um, who can tend to get a little, I don't know, self-righteous or <laughs> opinionated. Um, and, uh, and Bill was aware of these groups. And he was aware of the struggles that all the groups in AA were facing, as well as making some, being, what, four years sober, um, a year sober, two years sober at the time that AA started, making quite a few mistakes of his own in the public eye, uh, as well as encouraging other people to make certain mistakes that turned out to be not so great choices. Uh, as a result of those, of seeing the mistakes that they'd made and seeing the mistakes other groups had made, he crafted the 12 traditions, which I didn't bring my book up, but then became the 12 and 12, 12 steps, and then the 12 traditions. And like Pat said, uh, the recovery part is how we stay sober, how we can get well. The uh, traditions are the unity part, how we can stay together so we can help other people get sober. Um, because, I don't know, if you belong to a home group or a meeting that you typically attend on a regular basis, chances are, maybe, maybe not in your home group, maybe it just happens to me, that you might butt heads with somebody and disagree on something, and it might cause a little bit of friction in the group. Um, and that's what the traditions were, were there to sort of help alleviate. So that when the groups that were having problems with each other, with other organizations or whatever, they could go out and, um, 
have this thing, much like our steps, to refer to that would always be there, that would be the same, it would be constant, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be open so much. Granted, you interpret, this would all be my interpretation of the traditions that you hear today, of course. But that we have something in writing so that the message doesn't get lost or changed or warped too much. Um, because the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, what's contained in the first 164 pages of the big book, is what saved my life. And um, if Alcoholics Anonymous as an organization, as a fellowship, is going to crumble, then that book alone in a room by myself doesn't, doesn't quite do it. it. I tried it the first year I got sober, and it just wasn't enough. For some reason, I need that, um, that extra part. I need a sponsor. I need the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous around me if I want to stay sober. And that's, uh, that's partly why it's so important to me that we have the traditions and partly why I was really pleased to be asked to speak about the, the issue of unity because it's a way to sort of um, not f- f- fulfill my responsibility to Alcoholics Anonymous, which is what I feel that it is, uh, to be able to have the opportunity to go and, and talk to other people about our traditions and what they mean and how important they are. Um, One thing that always kind of confused me about the unity thing is sometimes I would hear things like uh, the traditions are there to help AA unify with other organizations, like help them to unite with corrections and judges and lawyers and treatment centers and things like that, and that's not true at all. That's not at all the case. Um, like Again, like Pat said earlier, uh, AA traditions are there to protect AA from ourselves, <laughs> from the alcoholics inside the organization, because well-intentioned and well-meaning as we may be, we do some crazy things sometimes, um, thinking it's for the betterment of AA. And, and Bill, seeing that, uh, thought that it would be wise to give some guidelines and some caution uh, as to exactly how you should act or interact with these outside agencies as a fellowship if you wanted to stay um, united. Now, what I'm, what I'm hopefully going to do is give you a little bit of background about the traditions, which I'm obviously doing now, and, uh, and then get into each of the traditions just a little bit and my interpretation or experience with those. Um, so let's see where I'm at right now. The, well, all of that really ties into me to the re- responsibility statement, which is what my home group closes our meetings with now, um, per a very nice... Uh, calm and loving group conscience discussion that lasted for, I don't know, three months or so <laughs> to change it from the Lord's Prayer to the Responsibility Declaration. Now, uh, the Lord's Prayer, I just had read something and I took it out of my notes about that, but that Bill said it came f- where Bill said it came from. But um, maybe the guy who spoke earlier will know. You can ask him later if you want to know why it is we close most AA meetings with the Lord's Prayer. There is a reason that he had identified. Um, but anyways, our group had a group conscious discussion and decided we wanted to change it. And the responsibility statement simply is the statement, I am responsible when anyone, anywhere, reaches out for help. I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. Again, um, this is a very strong theme for me. That's why I'm here. That's why the other speakers, I'm sure, are here. And um, if you become active and responsible AA members, it will be something that should hopefully be important to you as well. Um, as, as such, I take it as my responsibility as an AA member to, to know our traditions, to be educated of them, to understand them. Um, like I said, the first, in my first introduction to the traditions was, uh, to be told that you could work them in a relationship, which I didn't have and didn't make sense. Uh, after that, the sponsor I got said, well, why don't you just try to work them in a group? You belong to an Alcoholics Anonymous group, um, and you struggle with that being, 
selfish and self-centered, and uh, it could probably help you if you applied them to the group and understood them. And so she got me to read the 12 and 12 and think about it. And it, by no means do I understand all the implications of the traditions. They're um, a lot like the big book. Every time you read it, something new will stand out, and something new would touch me or would I would see something new in them. So um, I'm still definitely learning on this. Um, but I, I do, I have learned a little bit about how they've been applied to my group up till now. Um, and the larger AA as a whole, too. Um, oh, there's my Saturday evening post article. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that Bill did after looking at all of the problems the other groups were having was start writing grapevine articles. If you guys are aware of the language of the heart, that's a wonderful book that's full of Bill's writings. As I said, he wrote about almost everything and <laughs> had an opinion on almost everything. And uh, his, some of his early articles, he started to lay out what he thought were solid principles for how Alcoholics Anonymous could deal with other people. And um, he started publishing them in that book. So he called them things like the 12 suggested points of AA tradition or 12 points to assure, ensure AA's future and things like that. And I really think that that's what they are. If we, if we stray from our traditions, it's very much like an alcoholic straying from the 12 steps. You get away from the 12 steps, you sicken and you drink again uh, or die. If a group or um, Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole gets away from the traditions, then they sicken and typically fall apart and die. And you can watch groups when you're around long enough that 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 happens to you. So it's not just uh, needless, groundless fears. It actually can happen. Um, I know that after going through the traditions, it was um, it was kind of looking at it as a good alcoholic, thinking, are you really going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do? Um, and no. You know, just like anything else in Alcoholics Anonymous, nobody in Alcoholics Anonymous, not even the general service office, the conference, um, your GSR, whoever, you know, your treasurer, secretary, nobody can tell you what you can and can't do. Um, but just like the suggestion to have a parachute when you jump out of an airplane and pull the cord, so you might want to use the traditions in Alcoholics Anonymous if you want your group to survive and stay healthy. And that was um, definitely very true for me. Of course, Bill himself warned about having too many rules. They have the tradition that talks about um, rule, that group that invented up, like, up to 62 rules, and then the 62nd rule was don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, that's always good for me to remember, too, because um, we are not always going to agree. And I frequently don't agree with people. Apparently, I'm just an antagonistic kind of person. But uh, if I have the traditions and, I, and I'm putting principles before personalities, like Dustin said, that's why even if we disagree, we can overcome that and still work together for the betterment of AA as a whole and to reach out to the still-suffering alcoholic because that's ultimately what's most important to us all, you know, is to help people who are suffering from alcoholism who want our solution um, to ensure that AA will continue to be there and that we have a message that's worth sharing. Uh, okay, so the first tradition that I want to talk about is uh, our common welfare. I might finish really early, so I'm sure you guys won't mind getting to lunch early, though, will you? Although food might not be back there. I might have to tell you some personal stories or something to fill the time. Um, but the first tradition, like I said, my home group is our common welfare. And the first tradition being our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Now, um, a lot of times when they read this in the meeting, like if you go to any club, you'll usually see the, the traditions on the wall, and they'll read it at the beginning of the meeting. But um, if it, it's almost an unfortunate thing, like how it works to me. It's almost unfortunate that we read it at the beginning of every meeting because it becomes this thing like 
that you just tune out. You know, as soon as you hear it, it's the same cadence. Everybody says them the same exact way. If someone doesn't, you'll notice. It'll probably irritate you. It does me, you know. So it, it, I see that say that's unfortunate because then people seem to think that that's they just block it out and don't think about them or listen to them so much. Um, if you're fortunate, like some people, their groups do a tradition study or something, so then you have to look more deeply at it. But for a long time, I just, you know, zone out and uh, get done, and then, okay, now we can start the meeting, you know. And the traditions and the steps are what make the meetings possible, so they are important. And that first one, um, it, it helps me to, to remember the importance I need to place on everyone's welfare, not just my own, which is, which is a really big step for me because that's all I think about is myself. Even after having gone through the steps, I really still am, am largely selfish, and I want to get what I want to get out of the meeting. And I want the meeting to go how I think it should go. And I want you to stop talking because you're not making any sense. Um, and, the, and the point is that Alcoholics Anonymous is there for all suffering alcoholics. And whether I agree or disagree with you, I should respect that and try to uphold that. Always, always acting in a way that the group, the whole group, and not just my little home group, that it goes to all the other groups, um, to all the groups in the nation, to all the groups in the world, to the districts and the areas, I should always act in a way that I can preserve that unity so, so that I'm not being argumentative intentionally or um, picking fights or picking sides or taking contentious positions. I really think the, the first tradition deals with a lot of our other traditions. Um, it ties into them in, in the way that we always ought to first try to preserve the unity in Alcoholics Anonymous. If we're fighting about something and all we're doing is fighting, maybe we should just put it aside for a little while so that we can have, take some time to calm down and ask God into our group conscience and come back to it so we don't destroy, um, we don't destroy the unity in the group. I can remember the very first group conscience meeting I went to. My husband was actually, I wasn't my husband at the time, but he was, um, I don't know, secretary or treasurer or something of that meeting, and he had the 12 and 12 in one hand and his fist raised <laughs> in the other hand. And it, was the word, and it wasn't his fault, but there were several other members with also with their hands waving in the air and red faces. And, uh, and they both may have had a point, and one of the two may have been right. They both may have been right, but all I could remember as a newcomer was how awful that was. It was just awful. They were yelling, I was uncomfortable, and I didn't understand any of it. Now, part of that was because I had never read the traditions at all, and I didn't know what they were even arguing about. So it was easy for me to just go, to just completely um, absolve myself of any responsibility for Alcoholics Anonymous and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm done. You know, I, that, you guys are annoying, and you're arguing, and I'm done. And I did, and I left that meeting. Fortunately, like I said, I got a sponsor who uh, showed me that they actually, the traditions are important, and you staying for that business meeting and trying to make it a better place, a more unified place by understanding what's going on is, is what you should be doing, not running away. Um, yeah, I haven't, had, I haven't ha ever had an experience like that since then, so it, that was by far the worst, uh, so my worst group conscience experience, so, you know, it can always get better. Um, It, again, this, this concept also, or the tradition, sorry, also reminds me of the other groups that were around before Alcoholics Anonymous that were helping. And they were very successful. They had, um, I think one group had like 100,000 members at one time. And, and this ties into some of the later traditions I'm going to talk about too, but what happened when they got very successful was 
I don't think got bored or something. I think Bill t- talked about that in the beginning when he was writing the traditions, being concerned that we would be overwhelmed by our success when AA got bigger and uh, would forget to be responsible for it. And that's maybe what happened to these groups, but whatever it was, they started taking on um, causes, personal pet projects, uh, publicity things, uh, going out and supporting certain political candidates, and then they um, started fighting with each other. And then they fell apart. And then they couldn't help any alcoholics. And that's, and again, what all the traditions are there to kind of guard us against is that process of fighting with each other inside AA so that we fall apart. Um, the second tradition, too, um, that there's one ultimate authority in our AA group. So loving God as he expresses himself in our group conscience. Um, and in that tradition, again, I don't want to paint Alcoholics Anonymous as a really controversial organization, but I don't know. We tend to argue with each other. We just, I, I, I think I have, I've told people this before. I have an innate capacity to pick out another alcoholic just because we'll disagree and, and, and fight. I just naturally draw it out in people and they seem to draw it out in me. Um, it could be a little unrecovered alcoholism, (laughs) but whatever it is, we tend to disagree a little bit. And, uh, and this tradition, comes very, very much into play in that case. That you, they always remember that it isn't me against you, it's not I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm trying to battle you, that we're just, we're being guided by God, and that God is the most important thing in our meetings. Um, and that we should try to do as the master would have us do. What would the right thing, what would the very best thing for Alcoholics Anonymous be? Sometimes that means making hard choices on things that we would like to do, that we think are a good idea, but that may not be the best thing for all of AA, um, or, or may cause other groups to follow suit likewise and could cause problems if everybody did it. So um, always thinking about other people and remembering that God is the one that ultimately is guiding us. And uh, as one of my home group members said once when we got into a, an adamant fight over changing the closing of our meeting, um, am I trying to do what's best or am I just trying to be Right. Am I really trying to do what's best for AA right now with whatever it is that I'm fighting for? Am I just, do I just want to be right? Because I'll fight pretty hard if, if I want to be, to, to be right, you know? I don't like being wrong. Um, another thing that the second tradition reminds me of is, is the, um, the concept of a, a minority opinion or the dissenting voice. And, uh, sometimes, in the, in the interest of unity, people will say, well, everybody should just agree so that we are unified okay, so you're telling me that if I have a really serious objection to some sort of policy you're putting in place, I should just keep my mouth shut so that I don't upset the boat. I have a little problem with that. Um, that, that isn't what the traditions ask us to do, but they do ask us to be good leaders and be good stewards of AA and to open our minds a little bit and to listen. If somebody has a dissenting opinion, Listen to their opinion. Listen to what their criticism might be of AA. <laughs> you, all you have to do is Google, I think it's like the orange pages or something. I mean, all you have to do is Google AA and, and, uh, crock or crap or, um, cult or anything else you can think of. And you will get so many criticisms about Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but to look at those criticisms 
And Bill had those criticisms early when AA early first started too. You know that it was uh, a way too religious of an organization, and they were they were drawn in. And think in the 70s there was a criticism or 60s that Alcoholics Anonymous was destroying religious organizations because they were anti-religious and it was just a big group of people who hated religion. And uh, so those types of things are things to watch out for. And Bill was aware of those to say you know, and that gets into our later traditions, of course, but. Um, that we always look at those criticisms for their value. And we listen to the dissenting voice, and we don't try to stifle it, that we try to hear it and say, is there any validity to what they're saying at all? And these are ways we can grow and become more effective in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the third tradition, uh, probably the only one I knew when I first came in because I would run around citing it. I can be here, the third tradition. I can be here. Anybody can be here if I say I have a, if I have a problem, a desire to stop drinking. Um, and, and it is, you know, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. The only requirement. We're Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know how much more clear it can be. That's what we do. You know, it'd be like if you went to, what's a podiatrist do? Are they a foot doctor? If you went to a podiatrist and said, my ears, nose, and throat hurt. And then the doctor, he's not being mean. He's not being rude. He's just saying that's outside of our area of expertise. I do not do ear, nose, and throat. I do feet. You got a bunion, I can help you. You got a sore throat, there's Dr. So-and-so in the other building. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that's really as simple as it needs to be. Um, we can't afford to try to, as Alcoholics Anonymous, we can't afford to try to solve all the problems. Just like no doctor who tried to treat everything would be very good at any one of those things he treated because there's just so much, so would Alcoholics Anonymous become completely ineffective. Um, and that's not just uh, a needless, baseless fear. That's, again, the experience of the Oxford groups and the Washingtonians who tried to take on and solve all the world's problems and ended up, you've never heard of them, right? Unless, you're, unless you study AA history, I'd never heard of them before. They're gone um, because of that, because of a lot of reasons, but that's, that being one of them. Um, so, again, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's my responsibility to say, Here's what our traditions are. I'm not going to apologize for them, and I'm not going to change them. I'm not trying to be mean or rude or exclusive or hurtful, but I don't want to hurt other organizations either. And I don't want to take your NA members, your CA members, your GA members, your SSAA members, and say, come on in here, guys, because those organizations need them. You know, if you're a, in, in my area, if you're a meth addict, we need meth addicts to start their own groups. You know, we need them there because if, if they don't have a group, then that meth addict that walks in, and I've never done, I've done, okay, I've never been addicted to it. I can't, I can't sit there and look you in the eye and say, I understand. I relate, you know. Um, the biggest life-changing moment for me was when another alcoholic sat me down and started sharing about his drinking. And it was, you know, a guy who was 15 years older than me who happened to be a counselor at a treatment center. We had nothing in common. He was a jock. I was absolutely not. And um, he started talking about the way he drank and how that affected his life and the choices it made him make and the way that alcohol made him feel. And deep down in the very bottom of my heart, I went, oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. And I knew with 100%, without a doubt, that I was an alcoholic. Um, I can't say that when I went to the CA meeting that I went to in Texas because my sponsor was a cocaine addict and I'd done cocaine, so I thought, I've done it. I can go. I, you know, want to not do cocaine anymore. That's like the only requirement, right? Within about five minutes, I knew I was in the wrong place. I just knew. I mean, I, I did not, I related to the general principles they were talking about. The 12 steps in the traditions that of Alcoholics Anonymous have been used for all the other organizations as a basis. Those general principles are the same, but that common problem is not, 
It's just, it was not for me. It was absolutely the most awkward and uncomfortable experience of my life. And I kept waiting for them to find me out. And then they were so like hyper and <laughs> excited. I thought they'd just pick me up, all of them, and throw me out the door together in one fell swoop. Um, they, they didn't, you know, but, and I made some very good friends in that meeting that we hung out outside of the meeting, but that was where they went. And I went to AA and we met up afterwards. Um, yeah. I think that's about all I really need to go on about that one. So moving on to the fourth tradition then, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. So when I wanted to start a new group, because I thought we needed another, I don't remember what it was at the time, big book study or something in my hometown, the very first thing my sponsor said to me was, are there any other groups that meet that night in your nearby city, in your area, nearby streets or towns? Uh, things that I would never think of. How is my action that I'm taking right now going to affect other groups? Um, if I create a meeting that's just for women, how is that going to affect all the men in the area that might need a meeting? Do we maybe need a more broad meeting so that they can all come? Um, or is there another meeting that I might take away from, that I might kill because I'm stealing all their members, I'm competing with them? Um, those types of things, thinking about others and about how to be considerate of other, you know, were things that maybe normal people just do naturally, but I had to learn them and I had to have principles written down to follow. And, oh, yep, okay, oh, that's right, don't do that. Um, another, another thing that kind of ties into that is, um, and Jim's going to talk a little more about service, but as, as an AA member, as an AA group member, you have a vote through your GSR about things that go on na nationwide, worldwide in Alcoholics Anonymous, about decisions that are made, literature that's printed, things that are created, public service announcements that go on TV, um, wall posters that go in guidance counselor's office, um, training videos for professionals about what AA is and isn't. Uh, we have a decision based on all of these things. And, uh, if we forget that the proposals that we put forth, that the things we ask the general service office to do affect everybody, if we just do it because, you know, my group has this problem with this particular issue. I want you to make something to help me fix this. Um, that then affects every other group. You know, so every action that we take as an organization affects each other. And to keep that in mind is basically what I think that spirit of, tra of tradition four is. Tradition five, that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I think I expounded quite a bit on this one already under tradition three. Um, again, that's why my home group goes the places that we go, and that's why when I'm asked to come speak somewhere about something, I do. Um, I'm trying to tell you that if there, if you have a problem with alcohol and you want to get well and you want to have a life beyond your wildest dreams then there's an organization here for you. And I'm guarding our traditions in order to ensure that there will always be an organization, hopefully, here for you. Um, one among many, of course, but still here for you. Um, and, yeah, again, any time a group has tried to do anything else, and they really did try to sponsor political candidates. Uh, really. A, a group, could you imagine? I just find it so beyond me that could you imagine your little AA group the meeting you go to all of a sudden getting behind your local mayor and going out with their little signs and you know and coming in could you imagine that that just seems so insane to me but on a much smaller level that happens all the time you know it kind of gets into the later tradition on affiliation so I won't touch on it too much but 
Um, to people who are new coming to AA, when, when what your meeting talks about and what they do is what AA is to these new people. So being aware of the message you're carrying when you're in your AA group. Do you, do you sit and do you talk about how horrible your day was? And I remember a meeting I went to, a guy talked for 45 minutes about his dog, the neighbor's dog, I'm sorry, and how he wanted to kill the dog for 45 minutes. And, uh, I was new and I was about ready to go drink after that meeting. I mean, it was, it was just awful. What I should have done was gotten up and left. If, if you ever go to a meeting and somebody rambles on about their dog for 45 minutes, just raise your hand and say, the speaker I heard once named Sarah said, I could leave when you did this. I'm out of here. <laughs> just go. Um, you should hear the solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what my sponsor told me. You should always hear the message of how you can get well. If you don't hear that message when you go to an AA meeting, then you're either not at an AA meeting or you need to find a new one. You know, Because of our traditions, we can't enforce anything in AA. I can't go to this group that I think is doing things wrong and say, Mm-mm, you can't talk about that stuff here. You need to take it somewhere else. It's their right to do what they want. You know, If they want to survive, they'll hopefully abide by the traditions. But if they want to do it, then they can do whatever they want. Um, what was I on? Six? No group. Oh, look at that. It was a nice little segue. No group. I endorse, finance, or lend the A name to any related facility or outside enterprise to avoid problems of money, property, and prestige. Um, more than I ever knew, really. More than I ever knew can this cause problems. When I was newly sober, I was so excited about being sober, about this new life that I was given, and about this chance for sobriety that I just couldn't imagine fighting over something stupid like who gets to make coffee or who gets to take the money after the meeting closes or who gets to speak when asked um, how many times they've spoken and, uh, you know, if their story is better. I do remember very early on thinking, oh, my story really sucks. <laughs> I should probably go drink more so I could have a more interesting story because no one's going to want to listen to me. Um, <laughs> Luckily, that's not that's not the case at all. We we're here to, to try to get well again. Alcoholism, recovery from it, being our primary focus. Uh, things is thinking about things as simple as what you call your meeting. What does that say to a newcomer? Um, I went to a group that called itself the Temple Baptist AA Monday Night Meeting. So is it is it a church? Is it, is it a Baptist group? Is it? A soup kitchen meeting because it met at the soup kitchen. I mean, we had it was it was it's confusing and it's um, it's always something that you want to consider. How much are you affiliating with any given entity or organization? Um, I went to that meeting anyways. I'm not saying don't go to meetings that name themselves after churches, but um, but as a member, it's it's my responsibility to think about those kinds of things and to try to try to be as inclusive as possible and not do things that could exclude people. Um, that was kind of the reason that we changed our closing of our, uh, of our meeting was our group felt that it was, it could be exclusive to some people, not that it makes them feel uncomfortable. That's a completely separate thing that it excludes them completely from the meeting. If you are not a Christian and you come in and you hear a very, very Christian prayer, you immediately feel like you're not a part of that group. It uh, could be. Not that that always happens, but that was the rationale behind why we changed it. Um, on, on, the same, on the same note, hopefully I didn't say my last name when I got up here, but um, when, when I go to speak somewhere, when I go to speak at a treatment center or, or like here where you guys are, um, then I make sure that I don't affiliate Alcoholics Anonymous with that place. Like, I go into detox. The people in detox have no idea how I get to come in and then leave at my own free will. Like, that just doesn't make sense to them. To them, the only people that do that are the people that work there. 
right? So explaining to people that Alcoholics Anonymous is its own entity. It is separate from any other entity. We cooperate with these facilities, detoxes, treatment centers, jails, prisons, uh, judges, and court systems, but we are not them. We don't. We have our own traditions and we have our own uh, policies that we follow, and they may not necessarily correspond to other things. Um, if any of you have ever had to have the little slip signed from the court, yeah, I think so. And if somebody in here had to have been, I could be the only one. <laughs> that's not an AA thing, you know. Uh, hopefully, you, when hopefully that's made clear when you go to meetings. You know, these are not. We don't keep membership. We don't keep track of our members. We don't. Um, we might call you if you don't show up, but it's not because we want to know where you are. We just are concerned. Or we're really weird and we care, right? So, um, but th- these other rules, uh, signing, getting a sponsor before you get out of treatment, our local treatment center requires that. And I make sure that I make it very clear to people that, that ask me to sponsor them, I am not doing this to fulfill your obligation there. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't require you get a sponsor. It's just suggested. Um... Six, was it? Seven. Just seven. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. You know, I don't want to pick any one tradition as being more important than the other ones, but this one is certainly undervalued, I think. Um, I like money. I like to have my money. I didn't have a lot of money when I was drinking. As soon as I got some money, I wanted to keep it in my pocket, not yours. And I really didn't understand the importance of giving to somebody else so that they could do things. Um, again, learning about the traditions and learning where the money goes. When it goes into a basket, do you know where it goes? You, it's your money. It was my hard-earned money. I didn't, even if it was just a dollar, I wanted, you know, where is it going? Is it going somewhere good? Is it going to serve Alcoholics Anonymous? Or is it going to buy flowers for, you know, whatever, to buy, to put in the kitty for the card game at the end of the, you know, like a big jackpot? Is it a prize? Is it, um, what do they use it for? It's a very uncomfortable thing to walk into a meeting and say, where does that go? Where, where's that money going? What are you doing with it? But it's also very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting experiment. So uh, I have done that a few times. It's received differently at different places, depending on what it is. Um, but it is very important to me. It's why on my birthday, because I'm grateful for my sobriety, every year on my AA birthday, the general service office, way back in the day when they were trying to encourage groups to be self-supporting, um, came up with a thing called a birthday plan. And they said, if every AA member would just contribute, uh, you can shout it out if you remember, a certain amount, a dollar, three dollars, six something, would just contribute some money on their AA birthday, AA would be completely self-supporting. We would not need to take money from anywhere outside. And now this tradition goes way back to when Bill was trying to get money to, to, to make the book, and he went to the Rockefellers, and he's like, hey, you have money, give me money, I'm going to make this book, we're helping people. And uh, fortunately for Bill, he said no. John D. Rockefeller said no. This is a this is this program needs to be standing on its own two feet. Um, and the ultimate principle behind that is, you know, when someone borrows you money, they may not come back and say, "Hey, you remember the money I borrowed you? Yeah, I need you to do something for me." But they might. They might. And it just causes way too much chaos and problems that AA does not want to get into to take money from outside sources. So. You know, if you're not going to take money from somewhere else, then someone's got to come from somewhere, so you need your members to support you. Um, talking about it at meetings is always a really good way to get people to support Alcoholics Anonymous more and figuring out where your money's going and how much do you value your sobriety. Is it worth just a dollar? Um, especially when things cost a lot more now and there are a lot of services that you're asking, the general, that your AA groups are asking to be provided to you. And if you want those services, 
then you have to support them. And I was told that very early on, and, and I believe that, which is why I do contribute. I, I made the comment once that I contribute uh, however many years of sobriety I have at my home group meeting. So if I, I think I had like four or five years at the time I said that. And I said, I put five bucks in every Wednesday night at my home group meeting. And a guy down the table a little bit looked at me and goes, I have 22 years of sobriety. Do you know how much that would cost me if I put $22 in every meeting I went to? And he went to a meeting every week. So obviously that, you know, may not be the perfect, the perfect idea, but the, the principle is still there that if it's a program that you love, that you try to support it any way you can. Um, Tradition 8, A should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. As far as I can understand this one, um, like the general service office or an intergroup office that has prints and meeting schedules or answers phones or something like that, have employees, and they deserve to get paid. I, I just leave it as simple as that. Fair pay for fair work. If you work and it's not service work, he makes a very clear distinction. I don't get paid for coming here. That would kind of skew things a little bit if I was a paid speaker. You might not really buy what I'm telling you. They might buy what I'm telling you. Do you see that, you know, pull the strings on the puppet whole deal? You can say this, here's your $50. Don't talk about that, here's your $50. Um, so obviously our 12-step work can never, ever be paid, but we do, we do pay our office staff and our office workers. Um, a is not organized, obviously. <laughs> we're not very organized. Um, we do have lots and lots of service boards, and we're very fond of creating committees for pretty much anything you can think of. Um, they work well. They, the, the function is supposed to be to help AA run more smoothly and to provide the um, services that the AA members ask for. When you as an AA member, it's your fellowship. You get to say what you want, when you want it, and how you want it done. It's your ultimate responsibility. That's what you should be doing. If you're not doing it, if you're sitting in a meeting and all you do is sit in your meeting and then you go home and then you go back and sit in your meeting and you take no responsibility for the rest of AA, then they just get to do whatever they want. Whatever they want. Literally. And you have no say at all. And the more we stop saying what we want from our servants, the more they just do whatever they want. So that's why this whole, all of the traditions to me are just really largely about responsibility. If you get out of here and you go join Alcoholics Anonymous in your community, these are the things that I really urge you to, to try to take part in. Because if, if A saved your life and you love it, you're responsible for it. You have an obligation and a duty to try to, to preserve it and make it better. And it really could use your help. <laughs> always, not just right now, but it always could really use your help. Um, Tradition 10, I've kind of touched on already a little bit. Um, AA uh, has no opinion on outside issues, so we shouldn't be drawn into any type of public controversy. We don't condone or um, oppose drug use by members. Prescribed drug use, obviously. We don't encourage recreational drug use because that doesn't really mesh real well. But if your doctor tells you something, you do what your doctor says. AA has no opinion on those things. We, we don't have an opinion on the disease of alcoholism, how it came to be, Anything like that. There's, there's no opinion by AA on these issues. This is, this is a program of recovery. We know we have this common problem. We're not really concerned with where it came from. Individual members might be, but the fellowship as a whole has no stance on that. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. Um, recently, we've decided that some members of AA have decided they want to make like those... Oh, maybe they didn't decide this. Maybe we were joking about this. Anyways, they have posters for guidance counselor's office, like, hey, hey, we can save your life, and we're cool. Who knows? You know, you know, if you were a young kid and you, got, and you had a drinking problem, 
there's nothing they can make that will be cool. There is nothing. The minute they make it, it stops being cool. I can, it's, with a very rare exception, there are a couple of videos I can remember from high school where I was like, oh, yeah, I understand that. But uh, regardless of that, we were joking about putting, um, like, eh. <laughs> well, you know, in the bathroom stall where a lot of drunks spend their time, that would be a pretty appropriate place to put a sign about AA. Are you miserable? <laughs> what are you doing in here? We could help. <laughs> um, which, is, which is a joke, because there's a very fine line. I mean, that's just, that's just a little bit odd, you know, to have Alcoholics Anonymous doing that. However, the other day I was in the bathroom at a local restaurant, and they did have little billboards in there for, like, the crisis line and, for, and that said, do you have a problem with alcohol? We can help. Well, guess what? My local district had a public information chair who went to the crisis line and said, hey, guess what? Alcoholics Anonymous, we'd love to help. Here's our phone number. You guys get any drunks that they want to talk to another member of Alcoholics Anonymous? Give them our phone number. It's a, and we'll, you know, it's staffed by volunteers 24 hours a day. Uh, we'd love to talk to them. We, Bill has always said, we let our friends speak for us. We don't try to speak for ourselves. It looks tacky and bad publicly. So we let our friends encourage it. They're the wonderful opportunity to do that. Um, the, I know the crisis line has our number. If the one below it was a government organization that, for treatment of alcoholism, there'd be another perfect place. Um, we have a whole set of committees and service structures in place so that we can reach out to people and offer our help to them without having to make billboards like another member of our home group says, our group says, um, it, little door plaque, billboard. Think of how many more people we could get in AA with a big billboard. Um, some of those things, they're just, uh, they're dangerous. We don't want to get into doing stuff like that. And that's, again, your responsibility. If you like that idea, well, then you better get involved in a home group and tell your GSR that you like that idea, or the rest of the groups that don't like it are going to crush it. Um, again, it, it all comes down to how involved you are in your, in your home group and your service structure. Um, the last tradition that anonymity is a spiritual tradition of all our principles, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Again, that just really reminds me of what Dustin said when he introduced me. Um, we may not always agree. We may not always like each other. But, um, but we're here for, for recovery. We're here to get well. And we want to let you all know that you can get well, too. And there's a place you can go if other things don't work for you or if you so choose, if you're interested. Um, when I think about the traditions... I know that I was warned early on not to let fear drive me blindly. Um, find out what your fear is, name it, ask God to remove it, and be free of it. You, you don't want to be driven and ruled by fear like you were when you were drinking. It's easy for me to see that the traditions were based on fears, um, that Alcoholics Anonymous would, would crumble and fall, but not fears that we would be attacked by criticisms from the outside, um, fears that we would destroy ourselves. And those fears are groundless as long as every member of Alcoholics Anonymous knows their responsibility and knows the traditions and has worked the steps, and not every member, but, you know, ideally. (laughs) Then we don't have anything to worry about because you will be responsible for your fellowship. We will be responsible for our fellowship. But if we don't do anything and we just sit there um, and, you know, thanks for the the sobriety. I'm doing good. I think I'll go home now to my husband. Um, and, and leave it at that, and don't do the service work, and don't get involved in a home group and, and share our opinion on things, then Alcox Anonymous could be in real trouble. That's what the traditions were created to guard against. Um, there was a, a, a Class A, a non-alcoholic trustee of the board, who said something that I really liked, and it was... Um, 
It was at the 1965 International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll just read this quickly and then uh, I'll be done and let y'all eat. We must remember that AA will continue strong only so long as each of us freely and happily gives it away to another person, only as each of us takes our fair share of responsibility for sponsorship of those who still suffer, for the growth and integrity of our group, for our intergroup activities, and for AA as a whole. It's in taking responsibility that real freedom and the enduring satisfactions of life are found. AA has given us the power to choose to drink or not to drink, and in doing so has given us the freedom to be responsible for ourselves. As we become responsible for ourselves, we are free to be responsible for our share in AA. And unless we happily accept this responsibility, we lose AA. And strange, isn't it? He closes. So thank you for letting me be here today. Enjoy your lunch. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.